0: hello John hey Dar um, how are you doing well
1: shucks I'm doing just groovy
0: yeah I mean is everything good everything
1: all right well sure I mean I can't think of uh, I can't think of anything off the top of my head that isn't going just uh, just...
0: Fine. Good, good. Mostly,
1: mostly. How about yourself? Things going fine?
0: Yeah, I mean everything's good. I can't, uh, I can't complain here. And that well, about does go. it. I think well, for for today's show.
1: Well, what do you th- what do you think? I mean that's pretty good. That's it. We, uh, Nothing new to, to report. That, Nothing to
0: talk about. Done. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. All right then.
0: All right. Well, well talk well, to have, you, uh, have a great rest yeah, of your day. you in a week.
1: Okay then. <laughs> oh boy.
0: <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I assume yep, just, I, I take it you're well, everything is good with you. You're healthy. Family's healthy.
1: I seem to be, I seem to be, you know, I'm somebody that, uh, that doesn't have complete confidence in his health. Ha- haven't for a long time. And I don't, I don't know. I don't know if that is honestly, you know, I, I never thought I was an anxious person. Mm. And so I would never, for instance, have attributed the fact that I, that I don't have complete confidence in my health. I would never have attributed that to anxiety until, well, honestly, until I just brought it up now and thought, huh, I wonder if, well, you know, I was laying in bed this morning, kind of half asleep and I, and the thought occurred to me, maybe I'm in fine health. Yeah. And I, and I lay there and thought about it for a while, like, hmm. Well, all right. What would the evidence for that be? And it seems like, you know, I'm kind of doing the, uh, I'm kind of living that path where you sort of eat whatever you want, whenever you want. And you exercise uh, regularly enough and you sort of never have had any major illnesses Mm and bobble along, not since the, since the, uh, Quarantine. I haven't gotten sick. I haven't gotten any common colds from anybody. So, you know, I feel a little bit of malaise at all times and mm-hmm. might have a low grade infection going. No. But, uh, you know, just like a constant one that I've had since I was
0: nine, mm-hmm. for instance,
1: and, you know, a little uh, minor mental illness and.
0: You know, that's the, that's kind of your claim to fame is the mental illness thing.
1: Well, I don't know if I'd call it claim to fame. Well,
0: I mean, don't, don't be modest. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, it's something you've got and people know you as the guy who helps out other people with that. And I think it's, you know, it's, it, you've already got an illness. I remember in the book and movie, The World According to Garp, have you read or seen this movie? Yes. And is a little bit of a spoiler, uh, but early on when Garp is uh, in the process of buying his home for him and his wife, they're looking at a house and they think it's okay, but they're not totally sure about it. And as they as they stand out on the front lawn looking at the house, a small sort of Cessna type plane crashes into it Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and he turns to the real estate agent and says, we'll take it. (laughs) And his wife and the real estate agent are both sort of shocked and say, what are you talking about? And he says, it's it's disaster proofed already. This is you're never going to have something like that happen twice. And maybe that's why you're in such good health and why you can go on a cruise during COVID-19 and have no effect uh, at all. You're healthy, but because you've already got this thing that you're schlepping Mm. around on your shoulders that mm. that's enough for one man. You don't need to be burdened mm. with anything else. That's my theory.
1: I cannot think that that is, that that is true because I know so many other people that have that have uh, some of my uh, burdens and also additional burdens.
0: But are they is not, as important to the world as you are? I dare say oh, no. Yeah.
1: It's not as random as having a Cessna crash into your house. I'll just put it that way. Hmm.
0: Mm. Is that coffee?
1: You got coffee? I just made a little coffee. Yeah, it's not
0: quite. It's not uh, yesterday's coffee that you've reheated in the microwave?
1: No, it's yesterday's coffee that I heated in the microwave. And I didn't quite heat it long enough to make it like (laughs) all the way as hot as I would like it. So it's a little bit of yesterday's lukewarm coffee. Oh,
0: God. You know, I feel like that's your punishment for using yesterday's coffee what oh that it's not warm enough that it's that it's wrong that it's not good because oh
1: there's so many punishments
0: whenever either of my kids if they bump their elbow into the wall if they trip if they stub their toe if they drop something i always Mm. say that's god punishing you
1: oh that's good you're a fun dad i'm
0: you know i'm leaning into that more recently Uh and what are they being punished for it's up to them to figure it out only they oh, know that's god it's between punishing them and god you. and then
1: you just you throw your hand up and then you turn or, turn on a heel and walk away and <laughs> that's leave right. them sitting yeah oh, and sometimes that's...
0: i'll say what for i'll be like that's between you and god isn't it
1: oh you're becoming a jewish mother dan <laughs>
0: well, i gotta i gotta work on that but yeah you know, <laughs> step by step you know
1: yeah wonderful I'm, uh, uh, let's see, what is, what have I been doing? You know, my kid now, uh, can't play with her friends because their parents have all flouted quarantine.
0: Oh yeah. And
1: so she's here, no, no escape valve and she is climbing the walls and it's happening right at a time when, you know, I've been going along pretty well with everybody living here in the spare bedroom, kind of. Not not needing, I guess, or getting any real alone time, except for the, the stuff that I used to get many years ago when, after everyone goes to sleep, I wander the halls like the Phantom of the Opera. Like I get alone time at night, but not really. I was used to a lot more space and reflective hours. I haven't seemed to need it for the last several months because the quarantine had a novelty to it. And we were all in this ship together and right. You know, let's work on our times tables or whatever. But just in the last week to 10 days, I have suddenly needed about 20% more time where someone is not physically climbing on me and punching me in the neck. I've just needed a little bit more, less company and it's much harder for me to find it now. Um, especially relative to the, to the decade that I had all of that time and space that I needed and more in abundance. And I guess the last few days I haven't been down in my ravine. So I haven't had the, I haven't had that kind of time alone. That's been my working time. And yeah, yesterday I was like, "I'm going to my room," mm-hmm. you know, and I'm just living in—I'm living in this this house with her mother. Yeah, and I have a room mm-hmm. that's basically my all my worldly possessions. Yeah, and I went in and and shut the door and lay down on the bed, and my daughter left me alone for ten minutes. <laughs> <laughs> and then cracked open the door and said, you've been in here for 10 minutes. And I was like, out. I need more than 10 minutes. And she said, I'll be back in 10 minutes. Oh, my God. And every 10 minutes, she like rang the bell. It's been 20 minutes. And I said, it hasn't been 20 minutes because you bothered me at 10
0: minutes and it all resets. Right. It resets. You You've now still only had 10 minutes. Only 10 minutes. And if she I comes down another 10 minutes, like, you still only had 10 minutes and you needed another reset. Yeah. Yeah. And then she came back and she was like, when you're, when you're
1: done being alone, will you come out and look at this Lego tower that I built? And I'm like, it reset again. <laughs> so yeah, I, yeah. It's, whew, the walls are starting to close in, but, mm. but again, in the, in the smallest possible way, not, not in any way that, um, like I have not had a, like a, any kind of reignite of any real problems, I right. really worry about people that that have a tenuous sobriety or or were hanging on by a thread, or have worse, you know, in a in a period or time in their life where they were already struggling going into this. I, I worry for the people for whom this is not a healthy state. This quarantine isn't a healthy state for them. And then on top of that, they, they had some other thing going on that was a danger because I, honestly, if I, well, if I were still drinking and doing drugs, this quarantine would be not very good. Cause I would just, there's nothing a drunk wants more than an excuse to just sit and drink all day.
0: Right. I mean, and this is literally this is making it so like you kind of have to stay at home and you've got to uh, drink if you're going to drink, like now you're drinking alone by default
1: sure it's like well why not start drinking at 10 in the morning and and especially if you don't ever have anywhere to be uh so i i i, I super worry about people that are that are just living you know in a state of i mean they're because the thing is they're not complaining right they're not the ones that are like open up i need to get back to the world they're just like as long as the supermarket sells booze but um but their quarantine is not a space where uh you know it's not a clean room and you know i'm always worried about alcoholics and i'm always worried about drug addicts but there's kind of no what it's it's very hard right now to say like you know try going to an online aa meeting and that's That's a challenge. It's a challenge to go to a meeting in a church basement, but it's a real challenge to go to, I think to an AA meeting on the computer and, and feel the connection you need to feel. So I think about that. Yeah. Because those are the people I don't, I don't know what it's like to be an extrovert who can't stand this. I, I I can't imagine wanting right now to go, to a bar and all the people that are like we need to go to the bar come on like break the quarantine we got to get to the you know how can you live without the bars and i'm just like wow it feels like this is such a gift
0: and like like this never have to go to a bar this buttresses up against a big thing that's always been confusing to me because here's let me just take a couple let me pause where you are and take like two or three steps Back in, in another direction for a second, and then we'll get back to that. You'll see what How I mean. How far you want to go back? <laughs> Just All a little. the way back. <laughs> oh, not all the way back. Um, way back. So I, I used to work in a grocery store. I go to the grocery store, and there's usually an entire aisle devoted to beer, and then there's oh, usually yeah. multiple aisles devoted to wine. This leads me to, and I've been to Target where they have this stuff convenience stores 7-elevens gas stations they all sell alcohol yeah and then you've got liquor stores that sell everything alcohol yeah my observation is and i think i think you would agree it is not difficult if you wanted to buy alcohol and you're of age that you can do it you can find it it's everywhere it's anywhere and everywhere that you want to go
1: alcohol is there you can it's more prevalent than gasoline. Yes. Because you cannot buy gasoline at the grocery store, but you can buy alcohol at the gasoline store.
0: You're right? It's every uh, in alcohol, other words, it's everywhere, right? It's everywhere. It's, it's everywhere.
1: It's not everywhere that sugary pop is. Yeah. You can buy Coca-Cola
0: more places <laughs> than alcohol. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. my my thought on this is If I chose today, I'm of legal age, and I want to go buy alcohol, I can get it easy, anywhere, and cheap, too. Tell me
1: how far you would have to go from where you are right now to get alcohol.
0: Right now to get alcohol would probably take me four minutes, including locking up and heading down to the truck and getting in and getting out of the door. Five minutes. I'll just be generous if I'm going slow. If you had to walk. If you had to walk from where you are now. I, it might be a 10 minute walk, just walking. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah.
1: Same, same here. I would have to walk. I would have to walk 10 minutes.
0: Right. So it's easy to get. It's cheap. And this is the thing that always shocks me is when it's like, anytime times pe- people find out that there's going to be beer at a place that like takes it. That's like next. It's like a next level hangout now. Like, well, they're going to have beer. Oh, well I'm in. I'm in mm-hmm. if they're going to have beer. And so like mm-hmm. not even free beer, just there will be beer there. And I have, mm, I have beer. heard people who have said, Oh, I'm, we're having this thing and there's a thing, whatever. Oh, you're going to make it. Oh, maybe I'll come out. Oh, well, they said they're going to have beer. Oh, well I'll, de- I'll definitely swing by then. And then they, minute, do, really? they do. Really? Yes.
1: Are you, are you, are you hanging out with a lot of 20
0: year olds? No, these people are, like these make- are full grown, Uh, you know, 30 and 40 something year old people who that's still a motivator to them. It's still the beer a motiv- is the deciding factor. It could be the deciding factor. It could be the reason that they get, they go to the place at all. And this is the thing that shocks me is like that, like for them while well, we're having a barbecue, Oh, you're going to have beer there. Yeah. Well, I'll come out like that's a thing. And so then now connecting to, to your comment, I've never understood why the presence of alcohol at a place is such a draw. For me, if I'm going somewhere, I'm going because, well, the people that I want to see are there. The thing I got to get is there. The music that I want to hear is going to be played live there. You know what I'm saying? The fact that there's alcohol there is, that doesn't change whether or not I want to go. And it doesn't increase the likelihood or decrease the likelihood that I'm going to go somewhere. Mm-hmm. And and but for a lot of people, this is like a real thing. And and you've heard about the problem that we had in Texas when things reopened here. Where people lost their minds and all went to the bars. And so in all the local news stories that we're hearing right now, there are all these stories Well. They opened the bar so that meant I could go. I mean, we wouldn't have opened it if it wasn't cool to do it. And so then I got COVID. Now I'm really sick. There's a story, five stories like this every day of these poor, unsuspecting, innocent people who had to flock to a bar that had 500 people in it and are now sick. And I'm like, why did you think it was OK to go? I understand that our uh, our governor said You know we've got to open things up. I understand. I'm not. I'm not going to get into the debate of whether he was right or not. But
1: wait a minute, you're not going to get into the debate about whether he was right or not, Dan,
0: because I don't. I don't fly in those circles. He did the thing. What I'm going to talk about is that for the people who went out to those bars, shame on you for going to the bars, whether they opened them or not legally. That's that's on you as the individual. Just because they're open doesn't mean you have to go. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing that's like, what's so and this is what I want to ask you, what's so irresistible about a bar that hundreds and hundreds of people are going and now getting sick and we're now having the highest, uh, the highest contagion rates that we've ever had in Texas because they opened this stuff up. What's the allure to it? What's the allure that's at a bar? You can get a hook. You want to hook up with somebody. You can do that on, on Tinder really easily. So it can't just be that I can, I can say there's a percentage of people who don't use Tinder, who are going to bar to hook up with people. Of course. What's what's going on?
1: I don't use Tinder. I that's, I don't, I don't, I don't understand how Tinder works exactly, but I can only speak for people who have a problem with alcohol. I, yeah. cause I don't understand what it's like to be someone who doesn't have a problem with alcohol. I never had that experience. I right. knew those people. They were around. You could, you could point to them and say, like, seems like that person doesn't have a problem with alcohol. Mm-hmm. They came and they had a couple of drinks and they went home and they went to work in the morning. Right. But in terms of having a pr- any kind of problem with alcohol, and I don't even mean be an alcoholic, you can have a, problem with alcohol and not be an alcoholic, Mm -hmm. but if you have a problem with alcohol, one of the big, uh, one of the big challenges in your day is to find a reason to drink because it's the rare person who no longer, who has given up so entirely, uh, that they no longer feel like they need to offer anyone a reason to drink. And I'm mm-hmm. talking about even to themselves, right? Like, and this is the whole business of what, well, you know, you don't drink before noon or something as though at noon, it's a reason to drink. Oh, it's noon. <laughs> it, that's, that's generally and widely accepted as a time when you have a, you, you have a reason to drink. It's noon. And you it's part of the whole culture of drinking and doing drugs that you say, Well, I lost my job and so I've really earned a drink or I got a new job. I've earned a drink. You know, it's, you're, you are putting, you're putting alcohol in place of both celebrating and mourning and more than anything, it's just like going to the bar is a, is a kind of, it's a circular uh, sort of excuse generator because you don't go to the bar for the drink. You go to the bar to see your friends. You go to the bar to hear a band. You go to the bar to socialize and be, you know, that's where the life is. And that's, you go there to live, but then once you're there, well, you're in a bar. It's a reason to drink. It's not that you go there to drink and the, and the band is secondary. Oh no, you go there to see the band It's just, then you have a reason to drink. Well, going there is the, seeing the band is absolutely, you're just doing it to have a reason to drink or, or or anything you do. That I think is what people who have a problem with alcohol are experiencing Mm -hmm. is, and, and, and the problem with being sequestered is, uh, gradually you don't have to you don't have to offer anyone a reason to drink unless, I mean, you're probably, if you are in quarantine with a spouse and that spouse, it does not have a problem with alcohol. And every time you go to the refrigerator, they're like, you're not getting a drink. Are you, I mean, you know, this is going to be a real marriage ender for some people, Mm -hmm. but people that don't have a problem with alcohol, I don't know. I don't know why you would go to a bar rather than go to a museum. Um, Unless it is that uh, that dating is easier, I guess alcohol is a is a, uh, a a disinhibiting agent, and maybe you don't have confidence unless you've had a couple of belts under. You know, this all feels like some stuff that you read in a nineteen fifties Playboy, mm-hmm. like have a drink and loosen up. I don't know. The other night I was. Uh, I was working on a a genealogy project that just occurred to me to work on. And I worked on it well into the night. And I realized later that there's something very, very, very middle-aged about staying up (laughs) all night working on a (laughs) genealogy project.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I can't think I have anything more middle-aged than that, actually.
1: Yeah, and 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 uh, to to try and picture myself at the age of twenty five, I think I would have been very interested in what I was finding. Mm-hmm. You know, my my genealogy little project was I was discovering interesting things. And when I was twenty five, if you'd sat me down and told me all these things, I would have been like, "Oh, cool, cool." But if you'd said, "Join me, join me tonight over at the genealogy library." Or go to the bar. I think it would have been a harder sell than it is now. And now, you know, I would much rather work on a genealogy project than, for instance, watch TV or um or do uh, do anything that. It, I mean, it's a it's it is it's an, a diversion in the same way that watching TV is but i guess i'm all the way to a kind of middle age where where even watching tv seems like no competition even watching like a great new thing or a classic movie no competition to going online and sitting with a pad and piece of paper and writing down like timelines of people who died 400 years ago So I don't know. I'm, I'm probably the fact that the, um, that the quarantine is working so well for me. I think, I think there's abundant evidence that it's because, uh, because I'm like well on the way to being a granddad, you know, just in, in every, in all the spirit, (laughs) um, like, like, if if I smoked, I would I would have trans uh, I, I would have you know migrated to being a pipe smoker by now. Right. If I still smoked, I don't think I could help it. <laughs> and that's you know that's maybe the the my last the last refuge of the '50s Playboy in me because mm-hmm. although you know in 1955 all those guys that were smoking pipes and wearing velvet jackets you know they were all trying to be in their fifties when they were in their twenties, but I've stopped trying to be in my twenties. Definitely. Like yeah.
0: Yeah. I think that's resolutely smart. Yeah. I have, I have two. And I feel like that's the, the indication that you've entered into middle age is when the things that you did in your twenties are, are it, in your thirties, you look back at the things you did in your twenties and you're kind of like, those are good times. Maybe I'll do some of those things again but secretly you don't really want to. And then in your forties, I think you kind of look back and say, why was I even doing those things? They don't, they just make me feel tired when I think about them. When I wonder,
1: I, I I have a lot of sympathy for someone who's 24 and, and um, because I think that, my social life used to be very gang related. I had a gang, a big gang and the gang knew each other and people in the gang were getting into projects with with each other collaborating. They were, they were sleeping with each other. We were, uh, you'd walk down the street and you'd see like people you knew people from rival gangs. um, and then you'd all meet up, and it was all, you know, there was, it, it was almost never that all 10 people were in the room together, but in groups of between three and five, you were meeting up every day and kind of in the, in the gyre. Um, I used to go to a bar and I would know half the people in the bar, you know, just because I knew it felt like half the people in the town. Mm-hmm. And I don't know anybody now. If I, go walk around chop or whatever. There's no one there who's, who knows me. I don't know any of anybody there and that's my old neighborhood. So I don't know what it would be like. It seems like, like it would really be lame to be 22 right now and be asked to entertain yourself doing a genealogy project. I don't, I don't know how, if, if this, if I were in my twenties and this had happened, I think I would have probably flouted the quarantine or at least been quarantined with, with a, an ever expanding circle of friends where it was like, well, the, you know, the 10 of us and then, well, there's 20 of us now. And pretty soon like 400 of us because of that sort of everybody, everybody has one friend that isn't friends with the group. So it starts expanding outward. It's kind of what's interesting about my genealogy project. And yeah, and tell me more. Well, what I thought, what I wanted to do was go back in my own genealogy, which is fairly well documented and, um, find the immigrants, find the people who made the journey, right? Because I've got all these people that have been in America a long time, but they're in each one of these family lines, there had to have been the, the, the person or couple who boarded the boat somewhere Mm -hmm. and arrived here. And I thought, oh, this will be kind of an easy project because I just, just go back and, and reading the information. It should be pretty easy to figure out, like, if you were born in Lancashire and you died in Virginia, you're the one who made the trip. Because it started with the idea that I wanted to go back and see who my relatives were at the beginning of the Civil War, where they all were. Um, because I have a lot of history, a lot of, um, a lot of forebears mm-hmm. who are, are in the South. Right, the Confederacy. Uh, there were a lot of my family who would have been on, who would have been Southerners at that time, and I wanted to go back and see who they were and what they were doing, and just kind of picture picture my relationship to the Civil War from the perspective of actually putting a name to everyone in my family and where they were at the time. Cause my mom's people were all Northerners and my fa- father's people were all Southerners. So in 1860, mm-hmm. so just kind of, you know, mapping that. And then I thought, Oh, well no, go back and, you know, go back and find the immigrants first and then follow their path through the but in doing so, I realized, you know, my father's father's father, his grandfather, I think so. I think my, my father's grandfather wa- and his wife emigrated from Wales in 1860. Uh, And so you know that was pretty easy to to find the the line there, because it wasn't that he he didn't emigrate from Wales and marry someone here. He and his he and and my great grandmother both emigrated from Wales and then married once they were here, met and married in America. But they were both from the same part of Wales. That's funny. So I was like, did they not? I'm
0: assuming they did not know each other in
1: didn't know one another. No they were young, they were both young when they came, you know, early teens or mid teenage years. And they got here and probably were, were living in some Welsh diaspora or diaspora and met, met within it, you know, like, Oh, you're from Wales here. This person's from Wales. But then in, in tracing the other branches of my family, you know, almost all of them have been in America for a long time. And so, going back with each successive generation, you know, the number of relatives just expands in this, well, in a crazy way. And when you think about genealogy, you kind of vaguely know that. But when you actually try and map it, you're like, well, wait a minute. Now I'm dealing with 64 people. Now I'm dealing with, what, 128 people? Like, how did I get this far back? And unfortunately, a lot of my people, arrived in America a long time ago so much so that it uh, it became a herculean task mm-hmm. to note to f- to to find and note the immigrants and i got to you know i got I'd, i covered both sides of a piece of paper with the people that i could find and i had only made a dent And I kind of like, like a lot of those projects that you think, oh, this will be a fun afternoon. It turned into four days and the the end was nowhere in sight. And I kind of just, the air went out of me. I felt like this has got to be a thing that somebody's written a program to be able to do. Why am I sitting doing this longhand? Somebody's got to have some app that could grind through this. And so I spent a lot of time looking for that and I couldn't find it. But it did set me; it did set me in motion on a kind of churning, a kind of thinking that I like to do about how we all got here and what what it's all about. I know that a lot of people don't, probably most people, don't have um, their genealogy mapped out quite as extensively as I do, just because I have older relatives who started working on this in the sixties who collected all the family Bibles back when there were still family Bibles and did a lot of this work so that, I mean, I think my mom's grandmother was doing genealogy in the 1940s. So I have all the, I have all the stuff, all the resources of all these people who've worked harder for me and i've talked to some friends i was talking to a friend last night and she said well my grandmother immigrated here from china and there are no records of any kind and she married a guy who immigrated from italy and there are no as far as i know no records there so i don't know anybody older than my grandparents and don't feel confident that there's any way to discover them and I think that that's fairly common. I think, I think that's, um, I think that's fairly, I don't know about universal, but it's, but in looking at my own history, it does, it is applicable to everyone because I may be able to find 200 ancestors, uh, and you may not, mm-hmm. but it doesn't mean you didn't have them. <laughs> and, and if I, if I can find them and put a name to them, if I can find somebody and somebody that I'm, that I can trace a direct relationship to that was born in 1350, and not only can I find them, but I can locate their grave. It means that you are also that close to someone from then. You just don't know the, you just don't know the succession of name. But look, you know, locating even at the level of like your eighth great grandparents, which is pretty far away, but it's not really, it's pretty close. You know, my fifth great grandfather was my father's grandfather's great grandfather, and that's a knowable, like my father knew his grandfather and his grandfather, if he didn't know his great grandfather, he certainly heard a lot about him from his father, who, for, you know, who, and that was his father's grandfather, right? It's just a few, it's just a few grandfathers away to, in my case, be back to the American Revolution. Yeah. So, I mean, my fifth great grandfather, I just discovered. Two days ago, I it had never. I I think I'd probably even read it, but I'd never known it. My fifth great grandfather, my father's grandfather's great grandfather, was in the first U.S. Congress. No way! And you just
0: found that the, out?
1: Yeah, he was in the oh, Congress so cool. that passed the the passed the Bill of Rights.
0: Like there were Amazing. only, and you when, just when found Congress, this. Out, you just now found yeah, this out two days ago. This seems like the kind of thing you would have known about and been really excited about like forever. It does.
1: I am very excited about it now. I knew that he was the governor of Virginia in colonial times, but I didn't realize he was in the first three Congresses. Um, he 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 was a congressman from Virginia when there were only nine states that had ratified the Constitution. There wasn't even 13, we didn't even have the 13 original states yet. I mean, that there were the 13 colonies, but only nine of them had ratified the Constitution. I mean, he was, he was, um, and that's, that is someone who is just far enough back in the fog <clears throat> That he could hide a secret from me like he, like he was in the Congress. Right. Um, and, and it was only hidden because it was in a, in a stack of papers. You know, it was, it was only hidden because it was just sort of, it was hidden in plain sight. Like he, he became governor of Virginia when James Madison left office. He was the next governor of Virginia after that. And I knew some of that, but I just never, I just never really fully turned my attention to it because it was just a stack of papers. It was like, oh, there's a lot of stuff that one day I'll sit down and, and figure out about things. Uh, and I guess this quarantine and at the age of the ripe old age of 51, this is the moment. This is the moment that I sit down and, you know, and right. Come up, come up from the basement staring at a piece of paper, and my daughter says, What are you looking at? And I'm like, Did you know that your sixth great grandfather was in the US Congress in 1789? And she goes, I don't know. I d I don't. You're the worst dad I've ever even heard of. And I'm like, No, 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 seriously, sweetie, come back. Let me tell you. Here, <laughs> there's a painting of him. <laughs> but it's some but now that's something that When we think about families and we think about history, there are a lot of people that would, that would be proud of that, that there would be a, that that would be kind of something that they would hang their identity on. And, and one of the things that's inspired me to think about is how much is that true of me? How much, how much is my relationship to that one of just like how fascinating and how much am I proud of it? And, and pride, that kind of pride is a weird notion to me because what, what it does, what, what that connection does, like I, I, I didn't do anything and I didn't, it's not like I inherited any money and, um, and, 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 being related to this person or these people, it doesn't let me into the museum an hour early. Like the, like pride doesn't factor into it so much as that, the recognition of how close we are to those events
0: and those people. Right. It's really how, not that far, right?
1: Not far. We have not evolved in any way <laughs> in, in that time. Right right like we we are not any we could not possibly be physiologically any smarter or stronger or more sensitive you know nothing's changed they were not any different from us the only thing that was different is the clothes the language um the technology but you could pluck one of them And bring them here. I could go back to there. It would, you know. And so, but also that proximity of just my father's grandfather's great grandfather, the habits, the language, the culture that I know for a fact was transferred to me from my great grandparents on both sides just the values that they had made made it made their way to me um in ways that i can that i can point out and pull out and say like well the reason that my family labors under this misapprehension is that my great-grandfather thought this way or or you can kind of see in in your recent relatives when ideas make their way into a family, but you cannot see past probably your great grandparents, unless your family, you know, unless there's a historic record that can say like, well, maybe one of the reasons you think this is that your family, you know, like you have ancestors that, that came across the middle passages in the slave trade. So there's going to be stuff that affected you or your great, great grandparents were from Portugal. And so, although to look at you now, you just seem like an American, you've got this Portuguese influence in the way that you think about seafood or, you know, it's, it's hard to parse. We all think about it, and we we generalize it like, oh, I'm Irish. That's why I like potatoes or whatever. And it's like, how much of you is Irish really? Turns out that it was, it was one set of great-grandparents that were Irish. You're actually not any more Irish than me. Or, you know, Dan, you're probably as much Irish as that. <laughs>
0: Maybe not.
1: <laughs> but you decide that that's going to be a defining quality. That's the thing you're going to be proud about. You know, that's the kind of you're going to wear a uh, Celtics jersey because your great grandparents were named O'Malley. Mm-hmm. And weirdly, you know, my name is Roderick, but the Roderick line of my family is the is the shortest one. It's the one that I can only trace it back to 1700, and then it disappears because the Welsh were eating rocks before 1700. Mm-hmm. the The British came into to Wales and handed out pencils, and it was the first time that anybody ever <laughs> wrote anything down. So I, you know, uh, but I identify as Welsh, and I think I, I think I have a lot of qualities that are very
0: Welsh. Well, no one, no one can take that away from you. Thank you, Dan. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> but if I'm going to take pride in the fact that I have all these colonial forebears, that's really got nothing to do with being Welsh except for the ones that were Welsh, which is a strangely a component of them. Yeah. But I never think of myself as, as German for instance, but on my mother's mother's side, it's only two or three more steps to this whole universe of like Germans and Dutch in Pennsylvania. Well, I don't think of them as my people at all. Pennsylvania, Dutch and Germans. I have, I, I don't identify with them. I don't think of myself as frugal and stern and, um, and Calvinist, but in fact, I am fairly frugal mm-hmm. and even a little stern. Mm. And all of a sudden in, uh, thinking about that and thinking about my mom and the culture that she grew up in, oh my goodness, Pennsylvania Germans really have. There is cultural history in me. I do feel those echoes. There's no other attri- there's no other way to attribute it because my father's people were not frugal or taciturn. Um and, and why are my mother's people that way? Oh, right. Because look at that. that that's, it's, it's just far enough in the past that it disappeared because my mom didn't identify as Quaker, um, until you, until you uh, dig two more pages down in this stack of papers and you're like, oh shit, that's why you're so contemptuous of country and Western music. Cause you know, it just, 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 if we just, if you just knew your great grandmother's great grandmother, we're, you know, we're like all wearing black hats. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Riding, riding in a in, uh, horse and buggy. You know, I, th- I'm, I think about this stuff all the time anyway, because mm-hmm. history means something to me and we're living in a period where there's a, a, a lot of revisionism of history a lot of new hot takes about it that aren't really founded in a, in a very clear knowledge of history it's mm-hmm. hot takes about thumbnail sketches and thumbnail sketches are useful and i employ them all the time but it's also it's also fun to take a thumbnail sketch that you have and want especially ones that you employ all the time And setting that little thumbnail sketch down, clearing all the stuff out from around it and looking at it and taking that thumbnail sketch apart and, and trying to expand it out into a postcard sized glimpse at a thing, Uh, uh, particularly things that you walk around all the time juggling and, and just making assumptions based on. that's kind of my favorite thing to do. And Mm -hmm. I guess what's fun about genealogy is that you connect the, you connect that process to to people, people that you can name and that you can, that you can find a connection to that then let you appraise your thumbnail sketches relative to someone and trying to find that, that immigrant generation on my part was to try and better imagine that journey because Who were the people in 1620 who decided they wanted to go to America? Who, who were they? Um, how, how could, how could that many people have made that decision? And in most cases, not escaping a war or a famine, but just, you know, as part of our national creed, the the kind of fantasy that they were seeking a better life or more opportunity or something. But, but if you compare those sort of pablums or that generality, like seeking a better life, if you compare that against what I know about people, which is that most people are pretty risk averse and also don't look that far in the future. So if I were to say to you, hey, Dan, I've got a better life for you. All it requires is that you get into this leaky spaceship and go spend three months on it and go to a planet that is unsettled. Uh, It has a population already. Mm -hmm. And we're going to kind of move them they're they're not exactly welcoming us there. We're just going to kind of move them over to the side at first. Here, <laughs> they're not they they're not really guarding the land very carefully. Mm-hmm. So we're going to like drop in there and w- through a combination of like bamboozling them and just sort of. That I mean, sta- sounds familiar to me. If if somebody said that to you, would that sound like a a world? Would that sound like better opportunity enough that you would? say huh yeah all right i'll take my family and everything i own and and embark on this journey because that sounds better than this you'd have to be you'd have to be suffering a lot more where you are probably to make that leap yeah especially when you landed in planet X and found that basically what you've done is sign yourself on for a lifetime of total toil
0: yeah really sounds horrible
1: yeah but in looking back uh, through this through just this sort of cursory few days of searching I, I have this I have this extremely long list of people that did it all about the same time. Like, I don't understand what was so magical about being born in 1620. Born between 1600 and 1620 that, that that this sort of generation of people put that many people on boats and sent them across the Atlantic. what the hell they were all doing here at the at the time 1640 maybe where they were coming
0: from wasn't so good either that's the other thing it's like you're we're thinking about this in terms of today and like your house in seattle with running water and electricity and uh, internet connection and a phone and you're thinking of going to like planet x but if you're if, if planet x isn't that much different from the like life and toil that you have anyway in that time period. I mean, nobody really had it that good in 1600. It all kind of sucked. Yeah,
1: that's got to be true.
0: You know, and I'm just thinking like this was like a step down, but it would be the step down from like we lived in a, a five-room house. No, well, we you know, now we live in a three-bedroom condo. Like it's it's not a huge thing like it would be for us to try and like till the land for the first time after like, spending 20 years in front of a computer writing you know Python or something
1: yeah right what is Python
0: a, is that a, tr- a trendy programming system? language Oh it's trendy well mm-hmm. it's it's been trendy for a while now but it's it's one of the one of the ones that the kids like today
1: Dan I have a hard drive that my computer won't recognize okay it's full of stuff right? When I plug it in, the computer says unformatted disc. Okay. This just happened recently.
0: And you'd used, when was the last time you used it? A month, month and a half. So you used it a month and a half ago and then you ejected it and set it on your shelf and now you're trying it again and it's not working. Correct. Did you have it sitting next to a magnet or anything like that? No. No. As far as I know, did anything happen to it? Like, did it get dropped, or, or, you know,
1: might have gotten it, dropped?
0: Was it disrespected?
1: Might have been accidentally dropped one time.
0: It is possible that, you know, something happened to it that caused. Now, so when we think of hard drives. We sort of think of this closed box that just has data on it, right? Uh, but inside of it, there are a number of different components that are making it do the things that it, it does. On the one hand, you've got a little motor in there that's, that. I'm assuming this is a hard drive and not like an SSD drive, which means it has a little motor that actually spins the plates inside of it that allow the data to be written and read from from those little spinning plates. Like, think of it as like little records or little CDs inside of there that are magnetic and can have the data written to them. And so Mm -hmm. what can happen if it were to be dropped, that doesn't actually mean that the data is gone. It means that the circuitry or the mechanism or some of the things around it uh, maybe aren't working correctly anymore. It doesn't necessarily mean that all that data is lost, although it could also mean that all the data is lost on there. Was it just porn on there or something you need?
1: Oh, so much porn! No, now when I put it in, it says the disc you inserted was not readable by this computer.
0: Right, and it wants to format it. Right.
1: Well, the three options are initialize, yeah, ignore, format. eject.
0: Yeah. You could. There's a couple things that you could try yourself. There's software that you could use, both um, built-in Mac software as well as additional software that you could use to try to read that. If that failed, there are companies you can send it to that can do data recovery. That can actually like take the drive apart find out which part of it isn't working and, and in all likelihood recover some of the data on there. Uh, Mm -hmm. But you know, there are various uh, applications that you can get that will try to do that for you. Mm -hmm. How, how important is this to you? How much money would you be willing to spend on that?
1: Well, you know, I used to plug it in and it would, you could hear it spooling up. Yeah or whatever. And now it's not making any sound. Mm -hmm. What I did was I used it to back up a bunch of computers and I put a bunch of things on it. The problem is I don't remember what's on it. The fact that it's not spinning
0: up tells me that it's probably the, the little motor inside of there that could have gone bad. And that probably if there was a way for you to, you know, replace that you wouldn't do this. A company would do it for you. That the data was probably is probably fine. That's different from the data being corrupted or something horrible going on there. But it's not going to be cheap. The companies that do this kind of thing are very, very expensive. Um, Yeah, like hundreds, hundreds. There, the two things you could try on your Mac to do it. Um, if it's not spinning up, it's unlikely that either of these things would work. Like if you are used to plugging it in and you hear the little thing spin up and it's not doing that, neither of these are going to do anything, but you could try disk utility running that on your Mac and seeing if it, if it can do anything, it probably can't. And then there's another application you can buy, which I've been using for like decades called disk warrior. Um, but most likely those aren't going to work if it's not spinning up, those are better with like drives that had data loss or corruption or, uh, you know, something happened to the data, to the data, as opposed to the physical hard drive is failing. Cause if it's sounds like that thing just failed then it probably failed when it, when it fell,
1: that's no good. I mean,
0: what, how much is it worth to you?
1: That's the, that's the problem with all this stuff. I can't, I can't say for sure because Mm -hmm. you know, when, when, when computer people say you got to back up your files, I go, okay, I guess I'll back them up and you back them up. And then, you know, when you have three or four different computers that you're all trying to, you're trying to migrate different computers to different places and Have the same information on all of them in a pre cloud universe. Move stuff over here. And then when you get a new computer, you're like, oh, and they still have these files from that computer. And you move them over here, and then it's all there. And so I don't know whether this disk has it is the one repository of everything I've ever done. And the data on it maybe is Three entire computers worth of stuff that if it's lost, I will never recover, even though I can't remember what why I would ever want it. Or maybe it's just full of backups of stuff that I have other places that every time I migrated a computer, I took the stuff that I needed. And all this is is just is just a bunch of like duplicate Excel sheets from 97. Like, honestly, I don't know. And I think it's a thing where if it was 50 bucks, I would do it. If it was a hundred bucks, I don't know if it's 500 bucks. I don't think I would do it.
0: Well, I mean, if if it's, if it's important, I can, I can, I would have to look up the data recovery company that I, knew about from years and years ago. I know they're still around, but I'm not gonna waste time on the show with that, but I'll get, I'll let it, I'll let you know. And you, you know, you'd have to send it to them and then they would like dissect it and get the data back and then probably send you like either a replacement or a thumb drive or something. But if it's not spinning up, there's not much you can do there. They would need to get on their, their workbench and like pull it all apart. You know, it's like a car analogy would be if if you had a car up on blocks and a cherry picker with the engine hanging over it. You know, you've got to have the setup to do that. But if you're if you're like 50 miles away in a parking lot in the rain and it won't start, you know, you're not going to be able to get it to the cherry picker to pull the engine out. You know what I'm saying? So that's what they need to do. They need to do some heavy duty work on that. That's why we need, like a, a cloud. Uh, backup service as a sponsor so then you you could tell a story of how your hard drive died but it didn't matter because everything was backed up to you know
1: to a cloud backup service there you go yeah that's what i need yeah uh my uh in 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 doing this genealogy i talked to i described this to a friend who said you know it won't be long before your father's grandfather's great-grandfather um, will have had a Facebook page. Like in, in not very many generations, if the cloud actually is stable over time and doesn't fall prey to this um This compatibility problem that all the technology of the of the last forty years fell prey to. Where if somebody wrote if somebody wrote their autobiography in WordStar, (laughs) I don't know how you would (laughs) read it now. Yeah. But if it's in the cloud and successive iterations of the cloud are uh, continue to be able to like stuff keeps migrating up the cloud. Mm (laughs)
0: Yeah.
1: So that your father's grandfather's great grandfather's Facebook page will still be accessible to you 200 years from now. It will just be such a different thing than the thing that I'm, Going through, which is like looking at photocopies of, of marriage records that are written in longhand to try and picture somebody who, you know, stood on some, on some hillock 200 years ago to be able to go and, and read a person's Facebook page, even if by your, by your, two thousand two hundred and twenty standards, <laughs> uh, that Facebook page is primitive and doesn't have smell o vision and and uh, has very limited video content. Right. It's still going to it's still going to change our our relationships, our relationship to the past, change our relationship to our forebears in a way that I can't I can't tell for sure. I imagine that it will be better. I imagine it will be healthier to be able to know if you choose to know. Kind of like the the way that the the Zoomers went on Snapchat so readily because it didn't leave a past. Right. And it only took one. It only took one generation of people that had recorded everything that ever happened to them to make the next generation say, no thanks. And I'm not sure if that's still true. I don't know if, if the Snapchat, I mean, that was, that was five whole years ago, Dan.
0: Yeah. Right. That's a long time in the internet.
1: If the Snapchat revolution, I don't know, you know, TikTok seems to be, it has an archive, right? It leaves a record. Uh, so the idea the idea that the zoomers wanted no record of themselves doesn't seem to have borne out as a as a hot take but you wonder if i had access to the facebook pages of all these people how important would would they be to me more important i can only think about it from i can only think about it in the in the terms that I have right now, which is I wish to God I had a Facebook page for all these people for, you know, per von Sprinkenwick or <laughs> wh- whoever it is. <laughs> I wish I could see their Facebook page and, and try and picture their life in 1620.
0: Yeah. Right. Uh,
1: but if I could, if I had always been able to, would that, would that matter to me and what are the thing what what are the analogs what are the things that i do have access to that i don't value that in terms of information that people in the past or the future would have been astonished by and and the, the fact is at my computer at hand i have incredible access to information, including an ability to go back and find all these people. And I think of it as somewhat mundane. Whereas even 50 years ago, it would have been a, an absolute miracle. But what, what will, what will be important 200 years from now? You know, what will be, what's the equivalent It's uh it's maybe the type of thing that you think about when you're fifty one years old and you don't think about when you're twenty-five. And yeah. And if and maybe by the time you're seventy five, boy, it beats me. Can you imagine being seventy five, Dan?
0: I mean, I do think about far I off. do think about that kind of thing now. And you know, like I think about like how easy it was or how difficult it was. I don't even want to say difficult, how impossible it was to imagine myself being 75, 80, whatever. It used to be really hard to think about that. And like when I would see someone as like, Oh, look at that old guy over there. But like that old guy was at one point, like a really handsome 25 year old who really you know, tore the place up on Saturday nights. You know what I'm saying? Like he was a cool dude at one point who if I had met him when he was 25 and I was 25, it wouldn't have occurred to me that he was that old guy or could ever become that old guy. Like getting old is something that happens to someone else until you develop some kind of problem that you realize has to do with getting older and that will never go away. (laughs) Like, oh, so this is how it starts. You know, or your body starts to do something that's not what it used to do. Or you look at yourself in the mirror and you say, I think I used to have more hair on the top of my head. Where is that going? You know, little things like that. You can't. I mean, yeah, you could like go, I guess, go get Rogaine or whatever. But I'm saying like your body starts doing things. And for the longest time, you know, once you kind of mature into whatever adult form your body reaches and it's probably like mid to late 20s you're you know the signs of aging between 25 and 45 are really really subtle if you eat well and move around it's hard to notice most of them but then things kind of start to change and all of a sudden you can see the path from you to that old guy that old guy over there like you now see how well I'm not him yet, but I can now I can see how I how you get to that point. And the changes go from being really hard to tell and like you have to look at photos three to four or five years apart to, oh, yeah, I guess I got a couple little crow's feet in that one to like, oh, yeah, I can see now that's that's coming. That's coming up. That's next. You know, it might take a while to get there, but I see the I see the road now and I'm on it and I can't turn around. So you're taking that nad stuff. nast. What is that thing that you're taking? That powder?
1: Yeah. Well, no, I, I ran out of it and I haven't haven't re upped it.
0: Was that working? But
1: I but I've been meaning to.
0: Well, who knows?
1: Like you say, between twenty five and forty five, the the transition is so gradual that you um you barely notice. Yeah. But then after 45, you're like, what the, there's no going back. And with nad plus, I don't think that I would notice from day to day, whether it was defeating the, um, oxidants that were, that were aging me. Who, who can tell? Did you feel the, the, anything the,
0: when you were on there? Or? Oh
1: Dan, I don't know what I feel, honestly from from moment to moment well what, what i think i have i think i have a low-grade infection all the time
0: i don't you know just take some antibiotics then no i had a friend no who was a phd and he would he was a cancer researcher and he was always saying that oh once a year i just even if i don't need it i take a whole series of antibiotics clearing everything out of there and i said Are you, you're the really? reason you're the reason why we have superbugs
1: No, it's fine.
0: It's fine. That's crazy. I never heard that before. (laughs) I never had either. And I don't advise it.